The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleiner. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the Power of Water, Water Life Science. I'm Sharon Kleiner. Many years ago, when I decided to have my own radio show, they asked me if I wanted one, and I said, yes. I'm going to call it the power of water, and that was nine years ago, and you're hearing every day the crisis of water that we're in. We're on a mission. Anybody who comes onto the show knows we're on a mission to the world to listen to the power of water and learn more about what we can do as individuals, either in the scientific community or everybody on the planet Earth that's living here. What can we do together to work with the planet on what we what to save the water and save our atmosphere's water vapor and human health life. The body is water. Your your water in your body is like your own orbiting in on the planet. You are water. You don't forget any of every moment you must replenish the water like you want a rain to come and the snowfall. But your body needs that water too desperately every day. Every day I talk to people, oh, I don't know if I like to drink enough water. I might have to go to the bathroom too much. And I said, no, 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 no. You make water your best friend. Every day I run into this on the plane and meetings. So uh, in my personal life, people are talking that way. We, We must make drinking water our best friend. And I've said to everybody, would you your favorite plant or your garden growing or your favorite bush or out in the world there, would you go over and get a sip at a time each time to get a drink of water to your favorite plants? No, you give it an absorption amount of water to absorb. You must get up in the morning, begin your day with two full glasses of water to absorb. An hour or so later, have another glass of water to absorb, to begin your day. That's your, that's your jump start. That's your day. Then during the day, whenever you want to go to drink water, you can sip it off and on, but drink a full glass at a time and by the, to, to, before you go to bed. And as you're getting their day through there, you do know you've got enough water to absorb. And if you have to go to the bathroom more commonly, so what? That's detoxifying, getting rid of toxin and the germs and the bacteria and the problems. And you need to keep the skin flexible so the skin is removing the toxin too. Now, you're living on the planet Earth with water vapor that was here billions of years ago in the atmosphere. They want to call it 
air, but I call it atmosphere. They call it your environment. I call it atmosphere. There's a water vapor in that air you're looking at, in that atmosphere. You can't see it, but it is there. If it wasn't there, you wouldn't be alive. Nothing on the planet would be alive. You wouldn't even be able to use your batteries. You wouldn't be able to fly a plane. That water vapor in the atmosphere was here billions of years before we were here. Human life. That water vapor is what recycled and had a, began the weather we have called climate with temperature changes to bring the rain down, to develop the living species of soil and all life to come. The aquifers that are called storage of waters in the center of our planet Earth called aquifers. That water storage is there. It was there for billions of years before the soil and the life began. Our body is water. The brain, 80 to 85% water. Your teeth are 8 to 10. Your lungs, mostly water. Your heart is mostly water. Your liver, your skin, your kidneys, your bones, blood, muscles. And at the surface of your eye, what is the word dry eye that causes blindness? Dry means evaporation of water loss at the surface of your eye because the surface of the eye is 99% water. And when you were a brand new baby born, the eyelid opened, trying to pull that moisture from the air called water vapor to be able to, to for a healthier eye, for vision, for the vision not to be impaired. Vision becomes impaired if the eyes don't have enough water. The whole body that you're living with is that way. It's recycling itself every day from the atmosphere's water vapor to inside the body. You're going to encourage it with supplementations of drinking water. You need to learn to breathe that air with proper breathing. It's like last week we had a a guest on the show with Tai Chi. All these different arts from thousands of years ago in China, they learned how to breathe. You breathe in through the nose, you breathe out through the mouth, you learn to breathe that water vapor. It's like the invisible swimming pool. You need to breathe that moisture. You need to drink enough water, 8 to 10 glasses a day. You need to have proper nutrition. Learn how to study that. Proper nutrition for you because you need to detoxify. And the nutrition you have for your body that you eat and you consume can always be what tastes so good. It's got to be what's healthy too. Moderate exercise is very important to your flexibility and your dehydration evaporation process, your recycling of the atmosphere. Then sleep like the earth sleeps. There's so much. And the Power of Water radio talk show, Water Life Sciences show, is here with guests from all over the world. I'm talking to you from Grants Pass, Oregon, in the United States of America. And what we're trying to learn with as a mission with the show is something that you can listen to our guests and learn so much about. And today, I am so excited. We have Dr. Dwayne Cecil, Ph.D., from Asheville, North Carolina, who's a climatologist, atmospheric scientist, and a water scientist. And I'm going to get into with, with him, let him tell you a little bit about himself. And then each of the gentlemen will hear themselves introduce. The other gentleman, Dr. Gerald Pollack, Ph.D. from Seattle, Washington, is also amazing. His background 
is bioengineering. He's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, and he has a background of studying the internal body and the relationship of the body's water internally living with the atmosphere. They've never met each other. This is going to be an exciting show. I'm going to let them carry the show and pick each other's brains, and I will be here to listen, to learn with you. This is going to be an exciting new discovery day. Listen close to what they've been learning, and they'll learn a lot from each other. Well, listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research Center is a water life science research center studying the water vapor and the atmosphere, but also studying the evaporation of the human body, of what needs to be supplemented to replace that lost water, moisture to the body. Well, listen to their signature product, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. Did you know that in China alone, there are 700 million people diagnosed with dry eye? What is that? Evaporation of water loss at the surface of the eye worldwide. It's the biggest complaint the doctors have from all physicians, from all backgrounds, is my complaining about the eye. It's too dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only supplement to be able to supplement, owns patents in 29 countries, to be able to supplement dry eye with just a mist of tissue culture creative water. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil and Dr. Paula. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. I'm here. Dr. Pollock, are you with us? I'm indeed here. Wonderful. Well, to introduce you two to each other, um, I've had you both on. And I want to thank you. I know how busy you both are. And we'll start out with Dr. Cecil's spot on the show today to discuss, we're going to discuss water, climate, and that atmosphere, water vapor. And Dr. Cecil, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're doing what you're doing today. Well, I'm a, a climate science by, by training and by practice and spent 
31 years in the federal sector with NASA, NOAA, and the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, looking from space-based observational platforms, satellites, all the way down to uh, observation wells and groundwater, and, and actually looking at uh, ocean resources as well. And so I've, I've spent about 40 years, I'm in the private sector now, uh, chief climatologist for a small meteorological and climatological services company. And about 45 years of, of practicing looking at, at climate, environmental changes, and water resources, um, we're in, in, we are setting ourselves up for some real dire situations, and we're starting to experience them already in this country and even in much worse ways in developing countries. And so I'm continuing to, to beat the drum that, Yes, climate change is happening, and it really doesn't make any difference if it's natural or anthropogenic in the yeah. long run. It comes down to food and water security, and so I'm continuing to, to beat that drum and look right. at the environmental data and, and hope. I'm glad you just said that. Uh, don't, don't blame. Let's just go fix the problem. Go figure right. it out. Yep, exactly. And Dr. Pollack, tell us a little bit about your background. In fact, you, you said on there you went to the University of Pennsylvania. I was just there last week oh, <laughs> at Wharton. Yeah. Nice Wharton. place. <laughs> yeah, but indeed. anyway, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, University of Pennsylvania was uh, a few eons ago. I've been at the University of Washington ever since, and I have a, a kind of diverse background. I, I'm... Um, I have nowhere near the experience and expertise uh, of Dr. Cecil in, in dealing with the environmental issues, but I studied muscle and muscle contraction for many years and, and then came to the realization that, that uh, people studying muscles didn't include the water in, in the muscles, and water is by far the most the most abundant uh, component of, of the muscle. And so for the past 15 or so years, I've focused on muscle, uh, on water. And um, where our work is, is more at the fundamental physics chemistry level. And we discovered something that, that is, I, I think, pretty interesting, that we, we all learned that water has three phases, uh, a liquid, a vapor, uh, and, and solid. But we discovered a fourth phase, that is um, a, a kind of water that's in between a liquid and solid, it's something that's organized and ordered, and it exists at the um, at the junctions when when water meets certain kinds of of solids uh, that is hydrophilic materials. You're talking water about the material. internal body water. You're talking about the body's water in the body. Yeah, the body's water is like that. Right. Uh, essentially, all the water inside of our bodies is this fourth phase right. uh, water that that we discovered and so um, it's a, a different it gives you a different perspective on, right. on uh, what may be happening with water you know um, dr. Cecil you and I've talked and dr. Pollock about the lack of education that our planet has uh, from all walks of life that people are not realizing the relationship of the water and the atmosphere to the water on the surface of the planet and to the body's water. They, they're, they're, and even in research, they're forgetting to study that evaporation process and recycling process the way Earth began. Well, uh, water, water is water is an almost taboo subject, and um, one of the reasons now, now, is stop that... Stop there for a second, Dr. Pollock. Sure. 
a doctor sees, oh, we're going to have oh, to ask him what that meant. <laughs> what does that word taboo mean? What does that yeah, so, mean, Dr. Pollock? Yeah. Oh, oh, taboo. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it's, it's not something uh, that scientists can study legitimately. Okay. Uh, it's kind of strange because water, water is so incredibly important, not only to health, but to our environment and, and everything. And yet, you know, in research on water, and it would, I'm quite familiar with that, being the yeah. editor of the scientific journal uh, Water and organizing meetings on water conferences annually, uh, uh, water, uh, scientists studying water, uh, ran into a lot of a lot of problems. There were a few debacles that took place that that placed water research in a kind of hazardous position. So one of them was about forty forty five years ago when some Russians studied uh, uh, water in very fine capillary tubes, and they found that the water under underwent a huge transformation into something that. that didn't seem like water at all. Its physical chemical properties were entirely different. And, and some people discovered later in, uh, in the U.S. and in England and in Australia that there was some kind of contaminant in that water and, and that it really, it really wasn't water that behaved in this weird way, but actually it was a, um, a water with, with contaminants. That story is not so clear, but the message that water scientists got is this. You know, if the, if the most prominent water scientists in all of Russia, and there are a lot of them, could, could screw up so badly, then what about the mortals like us? We better, yeah. better, better not immerse ourselves in, in the study of water. Well, we're going to change all that. We're gonna, and Dr. Cecil, uh, uh, you can ask questions of each other when you're talking, by the way. Uh, just uh, jump in. Uh, Dr. Cecil has been talking with me for quite a while, and he's very much uh, into the research also of that water vapor and the atmosphere. And Dr. Cecil, what do you think about what he just said? And ask him questions. And Dr. Pollock, you ask each other questions. On talk shows like this, we do not mind interruptions because when you hear something, you want to ask a question and interrupt once in a while when you think you heard something you would like to uh, hear more about or ask a question. But Dr. Cecil, what do you think he just said there about all that? I was listening to what Dr. Pollack said, and and I was thinking about it in a little bit different way and would say it a little bit differently, that that especially in developed nations, for me, from my experiences, it's a matter of scale. So I'm really looking at, at global scale environmental water and interactions with all kinds of ecosystems and, and with uh, the atmosphere and, and not looking at the scale that Dr. Pollack uh, has been looking at during his career. So that's, that's one observation. Another observation is what I was about to say in, in developed nations that water hasn't gotten the attention that a lot of us would like it to have gotten because we take it for granted, especially in developed nations. We figure we yeah. turn the tap on, we're going to get a hot shower, we're going to get fresh water every time we do it. Well, we're starting to see, even in the United States, and especially California, Governor Brown has just ordered rationing of water. And you can bet people in California aren't happy about that. We're not used to it in developed nations on the planet of, of not having water whenever we want it as much as we want. And those times are changing and developing nations have been experiencing it for some time, and it's 
just a matter of survival, day in and day out. Where are they going to get fresh water? And so we, I, I would say, and from Dr. Pollock's experience, that to study water was taboo. I understand that at the scale that he's looking at, the scale I'm looking at, and especially in the Western nations and developed nations, we just take it for granted. It's always going to be there. Yeah, and what I, I said I, before... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to interrupt make one, one comment, and that is, you know, uh, in, in order to understand what, what happens at the global scale in which you're, you're looking, I think it's necessary or important to consider what happens down at the molecular scale. Otherwise, you know, it's sort of like uh, uh, understanding chemistry by starting at the atomic level and figuring out what goes on, and then it becomes easier to understand what goes on at the global level. So, um, for example, um, one of the questions uh, in, in climate is, or is clouds. Okay, so, so the a kind of basic question that, that maybe people don't, clouds are obviously important for rain, and one of the very simple questions, we see clouds all the time, and we, we rarely ask the question, which actually boils down to the molecular level, if you start thinking about the reason, the question, what keeps a cloud up in the sky? You know, I mean, the clouds are, the clouds are made of little droplets of water, aerosol droplets, and we found in our studies that these, these have negative charge. Um, and um, so one of the questions is that there are little droplets, and droplets are obviously heavier than air. And, and so how come, how come the water doesn't come down in one big blob when you have a cloud above you? Well, sometimes it does, obviously, in terms of rain, but why does it sometimes rain and why does it sometimes not rain? And so I've, you know, I've tried to understand the, the uh, prevailing view of, uh, of this, and it's really complicated. <laughs> and I think it actually boils down to something really simple. Uh, if you start at the molecular scale, and figure out what actually is going on to create those little droplets. Um, and, and that's why I, I, I would kind of, you know, disagree a bit with you in that in trying to figure out what goes on at the global scale, you really need to know at first what happens at the micro scale. And, uh, oh, I agree, so, I agree with you. I wasn't, I wasn't disagreeing with you. I was just saying that, saying from my perspective in a, a little bit different way that water perhaps hasn't been studied at the scale that I'm looking at it, because it's so taken for granted. But I, I agree with you 100%. And you've, you've hit on the one part of climate change modeling that has the highest uncertainty, and that's clouds. And it oh, really, really is. I, I, I wasn't really, aware about, about that. Yeah, you it mean, really you, is. The, yeah. the highest uncertainty in the modeling are cloud effects, and we, we just really can't account for, in the models, the formation and the movement and the precipitation coming in and out it really is the highest uncertainty in, in the global climate modeling. Hmm. Okay. So then, the, the, yeah. excuse me for a second then, between the two of you, though, what Dr. Pollock is saying, that the internal, the body, the molecular side of living with this atmosphere of water, this earth of water, this earth life of the water that they're finding with his exploration New, new, new adventure into what is happening with the body and how it's living with the atmosphere. And then, Dr. Cecil, you're saying that uh, what I picked up is yes, we're having some new startling events happening 
because people were not recognizing even in industrialized areas that have a lot of technology, thought they thought it out, didn't think it out. It felt enough that it fell through the cracks to where they're experiencing a water crisis. But this, like Dr. Pollock said, could affect the human bodies out of control evaporation, too. If the earth is going to have a problem with evaporation of not enough water in the air and on the surface, definitely the human body is going to be recycling the same, almost the same pattern. Mm-hmm. Now, both of you answer that. We'll start out with Dr. Um, Cecil first. Dr. Cecil, do you believe that that water crisis, and you've been talking to me quite a while, and I wanted to both of you to meet each other, could have an impact not only on the planet, but on all life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, not just there, drinking water, but the yeah, absorption I mean, from the air. Any scale that you that you look at, I mean, one of the one of the uh, highest drivers of warming in the atmosphere is water vapor. And as the temperature of the atmosphere increases, the water vapor increases, and, and it's a feedback loop. And so even at that scale, and when you get down to individuals utilizing water. I mean, we're just, the population of the planet is, is still growing, and we don't talk about that. And we talk about, we try to talk about climate change, and, and we, in this country, we run into all kinds of debates on, on what's driving the climate change. And again, I'll say, at, at this point in time, if you want to look at food and water security on a global scale and what's happening with population, the climate is changing. Is it a natural cycle? Absolutely. Are there some human drivers? Absolutely, especially in megacities, 10 million people or more, we are changing the climates around those cities and the weather patterns because it's an energy balance equation. And I, I go back to this analogy all the time, Sharon. If the earth is the size of a basketball, our atmosphere is a single piece of paper stretched over that basketball. That's all we have. And we're changing right. the water vapor in there. We're changing right. the cloud cover in there, the energy in there. We're changing it. And that all affects how much water is available and, and how much fresh water is available. It all, I mean, you're also it's all saying, and we'll get over to Dr. Pollock in a minute, because of his world and his exploration, what he's been trying proving, that if, if, you're, if the water vapor is changing, there's a temperature change happening, well, too. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's a chicken and an egg. And, and then so, the human body has been described as 99 degrees and having to live with the planet. And the planet Earth was living with, had the atmosphere before the human body was recycled to be what it is. And then, Dr. Pollock, what is your thinking, you know, with this crisis, with what you've been learning, you're probably shaking in your knees a little bit with the future of what you're learning is the body must maintain Oh yeah. Well, there are many issues to uh, to touch on in response to your question. Uh, the first is evaporation. You mentioned evaporation. The truth is, we don't we we don't really have a a good picture of the nature of evaporation. You know, in chemistry classes, we we very few people, very few um, classes touch on the nature of evaporation. We sort of come to think that water 
evaporates uh, one molecule at a time from from the surface. When it gets enough energy, that molecule somehow gets a kick of energy, and it comes up into the atmosphere. Well, we did experiments to uh, to look at evaporation, and, and the result of the experiments, it's, it, the the phenomenon is grossly, I mean, grossly different from that. What happens is that the water actually evaporates in huge clusters. And you, you can, the evidence for, for this, you can just go to Starbucks and, and look, at, look at a cup of hot coffee and watch the clouds of evaporation that you can see from the hot, hot coffee. Just put a dark screen and you can see it very easily. First of all, it comes in puffs. If you look at it, it's not steady. It comes in puff, puff, puff. You, you look at it and, you, and, and you'll see it. And the second is that in order to see those puffs, you know, it has to do with light scattering, and, and one molecule doesn't scatter a whole lot of light, and therefore you wouldn't see a molecule at a time getting scattered. But it turns out that um, you, because you can, you can see these, these puffs, that means that the scattering entity must be very large. It has to be, you know, technically speaking, larger than the wavelength of the light, which means on the order of one micrometer or five micrometers or ten micrometers, and that's a tens of billions of water molecules evaporating at one time. So, so the, the general view that, that water evaporates one molecule at a time randomly and such is disputed absolutely by, by these kinds of experiments that show it very clearly. So if you want to understand what goes on in the climate, in the atmosphere, the, the primary event that occurs is evaporation. And if you don't understand the evaporation, you're going to have a hard time understanding climate change. Exactly. And, and that's why I, I stress again Thank that... Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Well, okay, actually, yeah. Dr. Pollack has actually hit on the two... Didn't he? Uh, largest he sure did. sources of uncertainty in our, our global mm-hmm. climate modeling, clouds and cloud formation and evaporation and evapotranspiration. Those, those are two processes on a global scale that are very difficult for us to account for in the models. And so it's funny I, that in, in the first half hour, he, he hit on two of the, the largest uncertainty drivers in the, in the climate modeling. Well, I didn't realize that. The climate That's, system. That's that's so interesting. You know, I met, I, I was doing some work with the National Science Board, which governs, I, I was an advisor, it governs the National Science Foundation, and I met a fellow there who was very high up in, in the field, and he told me, and I was shocked, he said there's almost no uh, basic science research on, on clouds and evaporation and, and stuff like this. Everything is modeling, and so... You know, having having started my career modeling the cardiovascular system, I, I know something about models, and I understand that you know the, the the model is as good as the assumptions that underlie the model. So, if you're really uncertain about the two most important areas, uh, that is clouds and evaporation, then the question is, well, you know, how how good are these models going to be? And I think we probably share the same view that there are a lot of uncertainties in in, in these models. And, and therefore, to, to better understand what's going on with climate, you really need to understand each of the basic processes that underlies these, uh, these models. So maybe we're on the same, on the, uh, on the same page um, on, on that aspect. We, oh, absolutely, we obviously, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. absolutely. And the, the, the largest, largest cuts in, in the environmental and, and hard science budgets in this country are in observational networks because satellites are expensive. You're talking about billion-dollar research platforms that we, we 
try to turn over the lifetime of a satellite, which is generally five to seven years, we try to turn that into some operational satellite platform for making weather forecasts and those kinds of things. And so you're talking about lots of money, and Congress has, has questioned the federal agencies, that the three space agencies, the U.S. Geological Survey, NASA, and NOAA, what is the return to taxpayers and, and society for this kind of investment? So they've been cutting these observational networks. States are cutting observational networks in their states on the ground, and the federal sector also, the in-situ or on-the-ground observational networks are getting huge budget cuts. And so the amount of environmental data that we are collecting, which really can help us understand what's happening, and, and one of the biggest things that we really need to get a handle on that we aren't measuring in any systematic way in this country is soil moisture. There we go. Well, you know, soil moisture really is one that gets right at where we're living in the top meter of the soil. Dr. Cecil, we have to take our only break here in between. Don't either one of you go anywhere. And you're moving into the excitement that I was after today is the two of you finding out some different things that we will have to change. It has to be changed with some of that budgeting and more. But let us take a break, and we're going to be right back and discuss that water vapor and that life of that soil, too. We'll be right back. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. The eyes evaporate, and that's what causes blindness. Too much water loss, evaporation of water loss at the surface of the eyes called dry eye. We'll listen to our sponsor with just a mist. And we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil and Dr. Pollock. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. And Dr. Cecil, when we took our break for that moment, Dr. Pollock, Dr. Cecil was talking about the soil of our planet. And Dr. Cecil, real quickly, when we're talking about the water and the atmosphere that was here for billions of years before soil became alive and and soil, people forget the soil is a living life. You started mentioning something in the soil that they're learning more about because we were talking about clouds, temperature, water vapor in the clouds. 
But what were you starting to talk about the soil? Well, that that is another high uncertainty that we have in, in any kind of projections. And that's, that's what most decision makers and, and politicians want from a, the climate community is some to build some certainty and, and to give some probabilities of the projections that we provide to them to the best of our ability. And so there's some uncertainty built into that because we don't fully understand how these processes work. I mean, you can, you can look at satellite images that are, that are based on what are called pixels, and these pixels may be from 25 kilometers on square to 250 kilometers on square. And you can imagine trying to, to understand the rain you see from a satellite image in a 250-kilometer square pixel on the face of the Earth. And this is, this is observational data, and there's some uncertainty in that observational data with things like rain. And so without the in-situ, on-the-ground measurements as well, uh, we're, we're relying heavily on scattered observations on the globe and coupled with models that have high uncertainty. And one of the highest uncertainties in those models, I've already, already mentioned evapotranspiration, which is evaporation through the plant materials, the trees and the, and the shrubberies and the grasses, and, and, course, and cloud soil. formation and soil moisture. We, yeah. we don't have a real good way of looking regionally in large regional areas like the western United States or on a global scale. There is a satellite that has just been launched by, by uh, NASA, which is a soil moisture okay. measurement satellite. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's experimental. I mean, we now, don't Dr. have Paula, operational day-in, day-out measurements. Probably fascinating because the human body has to live with all this. Uh, yeah, it, you, you, you mentioned my name. I just wanted to make a comment on that. That, that is, we, we, we have some, we have some uh, experimental evidence that, that uh, speaks to the issue of, of, of moisture, including soil moisture. And that is, you know, I mentioned this fourth phase of water. This fourth phase sticks very tightly to hydrophilic surfaces to the extent that the soil is hydrophilic it will retain this this water and it just sticks to it like a, a covering of moisture around around each each uh, particulate uh, piece of, of of matter so so you know we can't from this we can't predict which areas are going to have more moisture and which less but we understand more about the underlying theory that that the more hydrophilic is the material, the more this water will cling to the surface. And there's something more, that is, we know that light, this is one of the, the sort of major discoveries that, that is outlined in, in my book called the, the Fourth Phase of Water. We find that this water, this clingy water, uh, is built by light, different wavelengths of light, particularly in the infrared region. So... We have a, you know, I think a pretty good handle. We haven't applied it to, to soil and soil moisture, but the theory should be perfectly applicable. That is, the, the more hydrophilic the surfaces, the more water that should accumulate, and the more radiant energy that is received, the more this, this water can actually build up. So we haven't answered the question, but we, we have some new theoretical basis that, that can address some of the issues, I think. And I guess this hasn't made its way yet into any of the climate models because not so many people know about this. But it could, it could help to, to um, it could contribute something to the understanding of that question that, as you say, remains unanswered. And what I'd like to do, Sharon, is take us back 
step back just a little bit. I mean, we're, we're really getting into the science here, but I, I would like to talk just a little bit about what I always consider to be the the drivers of, of the environmental change and what's happening, the, the impacts of the changing climate, and that's okay. that's population. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, we're not talking in this country at all about controlling population, but I'd remind your listeners that right now in this in the United States, we're at just over 300 million people, and we're projected by 2100 to be 800 million people. And that's starting to push a billion people in this country. And you, you start thinking about that and, and look at what we've got now with drought in the Southwest, in Nevada and, and Utah and Arizona, New Mexico, California especially. At the population that we have now, we're starting to ration water. So as, as freshwater resources become less and less, they're, they're drilling in the Central Valley of California. They're drilling 1,000-foot wells to get at water for farming in the Central Valley at a cost of 300000 to $350,000 for a well to continue farming the, one of the bread baskets of the United States. And mm-hmm. that's happening now. So what's it going to be like in the year 2100 when there's 800 million people in this country? And well, the, climate yeah. is, the climate is changing. And if you, if you go back to the models, I've looked at results from 17 or 18 different drought model projections and, and given middle of the road in terms of, of what we're putting into the atmosphere on the globe, if we're middle of the road, we're, 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 not, we're doing some things to conserve and to cut back the amount of fossil fuels we're using. The middle of the road, there's, there's still about a 60% chance that we're going to have a 35-year-long mega drought that will swamp anything we can see in the historical record by the year 2100. So we've got those kinds of things happening in the atmosphere and, and, the, and the water availability shrinking and the population going the other way. Now, Dr. Pollack, you, you, you and I are thinking, my gosh, the human impact on this, all life impact, but the human impact that you've been studying is the water level of the human body's reaction to all of this. Is uh, Diseases, in my thinking, could get out of control if we if, if the evaporation gets more out of control than it is because life at the beginning is evaporation from the moment you're born. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We and keep, then we all keep of us. And you water, taught me, right. Dr. Pollock, that something to remind me of that you said in your book and and others have never thought about too much. If there wasn't enough water in the atmosphere, we're like electric, we're like, not electric, we're like batteries. Our bodies are charging to keep alive with that water and the vapor like we're a a battery. Planes cannot fly without that atmosphere water. Our bodies will not live. Nothing will live if it gets, we have to find a way to slow it down and learn to control the atmosphere. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I have some, some words to say about that, and, 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 but I want to, before I forget, to ask Dr. Cecil uh, right. what, what, you know, what, what he sees as, as the best, best approach to combat this, this difficulty, and then maybe after that I can go back to the hydration okay, of the body, that. which is totally critical. Do that. Okay. Well, I, I think I think we need some really radical changes in in the way we think about about how we live, and we had a, a perfect 
opportunity in this country to, to show the rest of the world that we're really serious about where are our mega cities, where are our people. You know, on a global scale, there's something like 60, between 60 and 70% of the world's population lives within 200 miles of a coastline because we all love water. But with sea level rise, the coastlines are changing. The fresh water is further away from the, from the coastlines. I mean, salt water is plentiful, but the fresh water is further away. We had a great opportunity when Katrina essentially destroyed New Orleans to abandon that city in a place that we should not have a city and move 100 miles upriver, up the Mississippi River, and rebuild New Orleans there. But we didn't. We moved right back in. We built the levees back. We put the people back in there. And we continue to do that on a global scale. And so we're going to have these challenges are going to become more and more severe because it's it's very hard for us to think about moving Miami away from the southern tip of Florida, moving New York City off of Long Island and, and Manhattan because oh, yeah. they are going to be in, inundated by, by seawater. They're not close to the resources that they need to be a city that size. We really have to think, start thinking about where our world population is, where our food sources are. By the year 2035, I've seen projections that we're, we're going to have to double food production on this planet, double it, oh. because there's going to be 9 billion people. And so these are, these are huge you know, food, doctor, water security quickly, challenges. You know, real quickly, you said something there that I think a lot of us forget, actually. You know, when you think about the world population, we're thinking, well, maybe you don't want as many babies born. Maybe there's something with the body that's reacting to need more to the planet's um, changes and temperatures and, and, and atmosphere. But what you're thinking is really the more people born, the more there's people going to have to eat something. Not that's just right. drink the water, but eat. That's right, and, and the ocean fisheries are, the are declining drastically. Yeah. Declining the ocean fisheries, and, and, yeah, and climate change is changing where our agriculture is, and and right. the, the water needed to do that agriculture is. I mean, right. we are drawing the groundwater down in in the western part of the United States at alarming rates because we've had eleven of the last fourteen years have been drought in the West. And, and the West lives and dies, and well, the whole planet does, but the Western United States, especially development in the Western United States, is contingent on three things. Water, water, water. Yeah, it's totally great. And, and not only development, but human body. So uh, we were touching on that a moment ago, and hydration is... I know you know, Sharon, better than anybody. The hydration is absolutely critical, and from the time we're born, we lose we lose water with increasing age. And you know, new, newborns are perhaps eighty percent water by volume, and and people who are in their seventies, it goes down to maybe sixty percent. We can't retain water very very easily. So. So the access to to water and and the ability to rehydrate ourselves is absolutely critical, and that that's another of the areas that is is underestimated. You know, our health is getting progressively worse, and it's getting we, worse. Yeah, it's getting worse, and and we we kind of we kind of wonder what what the reasons are. There are all kinds of environmental reasons, but one of the things that's so important, so critically important, is to keep hydrated. Um, and I, I always refer to the book by, uh, by you know, Sharon, this fellow, uh, bat, we call him Batman. Oh, that, Bat-Mangalesh. I, call, I pronounce it yeah. wrong, Dr. Cecil Batmenji. He, 
the body uh, the body needs water. I'm embarrassed because I know it well. I've I've talked to him way before he passed away. He called me, but back to but I go after also Dr. Pollock that if that atmosphere is water vapor vapor continues to change and gets that pollution problems that we have in our water vapor today living indoors with forced air heating and cooling and and insulated windows and walls and the chemistry is indoors you go outdoors and the pollution that's in the vapor is causing a contamination into the vapor that is not able to absorb the body will fight that type of of polluted air a polluted vapor Sure. So I'm sure. Any at any it. kind of contamination can't can't be good. Na- nature's no. design is pretty optimized, and, and if you subject yourself to, to those insults, you're in trouble. Right. <laughs> and it and it's everywhere. I, I, as Sharon, as you know, I, I led the the U.S. Geological Survey's mid latitude glacial research for ten years all over the globe, and we used to go to to conferences with colleagues, and we'd all talk about what we were finding in in these glacial records and and in the snow records and we'd always get scientists up there that would start their talk out with, we found in this pristine environment, well, there are no pristine environments. We have impacted every source of water on the face of this planet. And water vapor. And water vapor. Right. There's one source I wonder. I've been hearing from some sources about so-called primary waters buried deep in the earth, not the ordinary aquifers that are high up, but some some estimates are, are that... The, the amount of primary water exceeds the amount of water in, you know, I believe, in the oceans by several times. Or, or, Dr. Cecil it, could answer that. Oh, please. Well, Dr. I, Cecil, you can answer Well, that. I think that some of the things that we're doing at the surface are, are impacting those waters, and, and oh. I would submit that if you bring those waters up, you've already changed it. You've already changed it by bringing it up. Now, Dr. Cecil, you just said something that I'm fascinated about our UN future is the study, is those primary waters that Dr. Pollock brought together, and there's a lot of these hidden waters that could be usable. What is your analysis on that, with those well, hidden waters? You know, think about fracking, whether you, whether you are for it or against it or, or believe we should be doing it. It has made the United States the world's... Uh, leading natural gas producer, and, and if things keep going the way they are, we'll be, curiously enough, we will be back as the world's leading oil producer. And so there's ways for us to get at that oil. There's certainly ways for us to get at that get water. water. But I, and, and I would like Dr. Pollock to comment on this. I, I watched a, a YouTube video where you talked about the energy is freely available for desalinization. Yep, and and that's a that's a huge huge challenge. And California's got a plant that's going to go online next year that's going to cost them over a billion dollars, and and getting rid of the the waste from desalinization. So to me, you know, the ocean's a huge resource. If we can perfect desalinating the water and handling the waste, I think that makes a whole lot more sense than than going after things that are that are underneath the surface of the earth that are that are going to be even more difficult to, to bring out. So if if you could comment on that. I, I sure, I absolutely. Your comments yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, we, we, we have a, a method. Uh, actually, we have a patent uh, on it to, to uh, it's actually a, a filtration or purification technique. It's really simple. Uh, uh, 
and it doesn't involve any physical filters. It involves a separation that depends on the energy from the sun, uh, essentially, which is which is a kind of the basis of our discovery of the fourth phase of water, and it really works. Uh, and we're trying to see if it works to desalinate uh, uh, water. We think it does. However, you know, to to develop this, we need funding, and funding uh, surprisingly it's not so easy to come by. Uh, it's just, we we haven't found the right sources. This will require uh, perhaps half million dollars or a few hundred thousand dollars to uh, to to get test and get a prototype. And if any mm-hmm. of the listeners are, have access and are interested, this would be great because we'd like to develop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has great promise, and I'm right with you that the ocean is the uh, probably the the optimum source. Of course, everybody knows that you can desalinate, but but it costs a huge amount of energy to do, and this is so simple because it involves only the energy of the sun. So we're excited about this option. Now, Dr. Cecil, when they do begin to find in time new exploration that can begin to desalinate, not not as expensive, it'll always be expensive, but what is the cost to maintain that ongoing, though, for a long term? Well, that's a good question. I, 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 I'm really curious to learn more about Dr. Pollock's method, but I, I know that having worked at the Idaho National Laboratory, there was um, some methodologies developed there for integral fast breeder reactors, nuclear reactors, that burn about somewhere between 90 95% of their fuel and so there's very little or of, of the waste for fuel, so there's very little waste from this process. And you can build, uh, the, the Japanese have actually built prototype uh, integral breeder reactors that are about the size of a river barge. And you could take a couple of these about 600 kilowatt breeder reactors and, and anger them off of Los Angeles and desalinate water and provide energy for the city of Los Angeles for the next 40 years. And so we, we've got to start really opening our minds and start thinking about where, where our people live, where the food is, where the water is, and what we need to do locally, because we're obviously not going to move Los Angeles. And by the way, I don't, Dr. Pollock, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read a book called Cadillac Desert by you know, Mark, Mark Reisner. It's a fabulous book. It's a very it good about, book. Oh, it's Dr. great. talks about the Now, we've only got West. a minute left. But he, he says uh, in the book. Dr. Cecil, uh, we've only got a, uh, Dr. Pollock, I, I knew this was going to go fast. We'll have to do it again sometime when you both find time. But uh, would, how would you like to uh, say, say today, Dr. Cecil, what you, did you learn anything new today? That you, oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm really fascinated and want to learn more about this. We'll do this more. And then, Dr. Process. Pollock, how did you feel today? This oh, was- yeah, it was, it was really good to connect with someone who really understands the, the terrible situation that we, we, we face in, in the future and is serious about doing something about it. I think some linkage would be profitable between and the two of will. us. And we will. Well, you'll be surprised, the two of you, how I have a mission. <laughs> We're gonna I, won't, I won't be surprised at all, Sharon. <laughs> I think I had a magic wand above my head long ago saying, Sharon, this can be done. Don't give up. <laughs> but I want to thank you both today. I learned so much, and uh, I know our listeners did, and we're sure going to really work on linking this out there. And can we'll hopefully thing, do this Sharon? with both of you again. 
Can I say one more thing real quick? Yes, you sure been, can. I've been doctor. doing this with you since 2005, and this hour went faster than anyone oh, okay. before. Well, I hope that's a compliment. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. <laughs> but we'll do more of this. We'll bring in more people and do this with the two of you again and maybe even have some others on. So I thank you both for being with us today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. And I wish you well and be well. Okay. Goodbye. Have you a too. nice day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, audience, that will do more of this, and and I think that really I could even go to I think two will be perfect. But once in a while, we can bring in after we've had a couple on more commonly, we could bring in a third to participate once in a while. But I think you learned as much as I did, and that's what I'm here for. Is my world with biologic ocular research is to bring people together throughout the world, which I do. I bring scientists and business people from all over the world, and the layman living with us as my, uh, to be better educated about what is happening, to live healthy and to be happy and to value everybody else's life too. Life is a precious moment. Embrace yours, but also embrace somebody else's. That's what this show's about. But earth whispers, don't ever say goodbye because you might want to take it all with you. No. Leave something behind for all those children for generations to come to know that you cared, and I know you do. The Power of Water is a water life science show, and I thank you for listening. You have a nice day, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health environment, and the power of water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.